0: The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the host, participating callers, and or listener emails, text, and or letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Forum Communications.
1: 970 WDIM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Coming back. I missed Friday. Ben, I was uh, a little under the weather. Wasn't feeling that great. Feeling better now? I feel a lot better now. Good, a good, weekend. good, We have got a busy show today. Uh, we're going to have open phones in the first hour. Uh, in hour two, we are going to have a debate for the full hour on Measure 3, the recreational marijuana ballot measure. Uh, David Owen from Legalize ND is going to be on. Uh, he was one of the uh, the primary organizers behind Measure 3. Uh, He's going to be on, obviously, defending his uh, his proposal. Uh, and then Will Jones from Smart Approaches to Marijuana uh, is going to be on the other side of the debate. Uh, and it's going to be the way we're going to do it. It's, it's pretty laid back. But the, the way we're going to do it is essentially they're going to be on. And we'll take questions from you, the audience. You could call them in. Of course, our call-in number, 701-293-9000, 888 uh, 9329 Or you can email them in, talk at WDAY.com. And, and as a matter of fact, if you want to start emailing questions in now, you can. We're going to get through just as many as we can. Uh, we're going to have the two sides you know, engage one another and, and have some good back and forth and ho- hopefully uh, illuminate this issue uh, a little bit more for everybody. So we'll do that uh, in the second hour. Uh, but for now, it's it's open phones, and uh, we got a lot of fun stuff we could talk about. This voter ID thing, I, I think some of the it, – it's interesting how worked up, uh, all of a sudden, North Dakota's voter ID laws, which have been in place for, I mean, a, a while now. It's not like – I hear a lot of people – a lot of the reaction I've been seeing is people are like, oh, the state of North Dakota just voted to suppress the Native American vote. Uh, well, actually, North Dakota voter ID laws have been in place for a while now. This isn't something that just happened. What just happened recently is the U.S. Supreme Court um, upheld a stay of a lower court injunction, which the, the the effect of that ruling being that North Dakota can fully enforce our voter ID law. Um, and usually, when the courts do this, you know, they're they're sort of tacitly saying that they they think there's a pretty good chance that ultimately the law is going to be upheld. Um, and, and, and the port part of the law in question is the requirement that you must cast a val a ballot with identification that includes a current residential address. Now, everybody's flipping out about this. And honestly, I, I think a lot of what's, what's going on with it right now, I think it's a very convenient part of the height camp campaigns narrative right now to, to push the idea that, you know, those evil Republicans are out to suppress the native American vote. Um, uh, but I just ask this question, and I, I want to get into this discussion here in a little bit. Um, but consider this question for a moment: the issue at hand is that in, in a lot of our reservation communities, uh, they don't have a very good address system to the point where tribal IDs don't have physical addresses on them, um, and so what people end up using things like PO boxes. And I, I guess the question for me is. Why haven't the tribes fixed that by now? I mean, not even just for the sake of voter ID, but maybe for the sake of, like, safety. For the sake of ensuring that first responders can get out to these areas. I mean, this this seems like an issue maybe the tribes should have fixed a while ago. And, and we're hearing a lot these days about how involved North Dakota's tribes are in, in political activism. We certainly saw during the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. They have a lot of resources for that sort of thing. It seems to me like, like having a workable address system is a pretty basic function of government. Why haven't the tribal governments addressed this? We seem to be making the issue, well, North Dakota's voter ID law is racist, right? We're trying to suppress the Native American vote. But all the, all the voter ID law says is, listen, your identification has to verify a residential address. Because otherwise, what's the point of, of things like legislative boundaries, if you could just drive, I mean, if you're living in Fargo, you could just drive across town and vote in another legislative district. Like, maybe there's no election in your legislative district this year, so you drive across town and you vote in one where there is a race. Was well, that fair to the people who live in that district? No, of course not. If, if the point of voter identification is to ensure that the ballots cast are being cast appropriately or being cast legally, then of course the identification has to verify a residential address. And if something peculiar to our reservation communities make it difficult or impossible to verify a residential address, then maybe that's the problem that should be fixed and not North Dakota's law. I don't know. That's question for you. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, but for the moment, let's let's sw- let's put a pin in that. we got to talk about this Elizabeth Warren thing, Ben.
2: What happened now with her?
1: Okay, so are you aware of Elizabeth Warren and, and her claiming to be a Native American? Yep. You're mm-hmm. aware of all that? Yeah. Okay. So she came out and she's on it. She's got a PR blitz going on. She put out a video and she's released DNA results. And according to her DNA results, um, she is um. She has uh, she is she does have a Native American ancestor possibly. And it's, it's a strong likelihood that she does have a Native American ancestor. But according to the report in the Boston Globe, uh, she has a Native American in her family tree dating back six to ten generations, with the most likely it, it most likely being eight generations back. She has a Native American ancestor. So now she's, she's claiming vindication. Right. And she's saying that President Donald Trump, uh, he at one point, I think, had said that he'd donate a million dollars to a charity of her choice if, um, you know, if, if, if a DNA test proved it true. The problem, though, I, I think for her is this doesn't look like vindication at all to me. In fact, this looks silly. Just, just to say I, if, if
2: this I'm whole sorry, dispute between them just seems silly to me that she well, would make these remarks and Trump would acknowledge them.
1: I don't know. I think I think that she deserves to be mocked for having having claimed this to begin with, especially given the way she claimed it. Here's the Boston Globe did a, a a report on this back in January. Right. So it wasn't just like she said in passing in a speech or something. Oh, yes, I have a Native American ancestor. And then everybody freaked out. She used this as a part of her career. This is what. And, and before the recent DNA back in January, the Boston Globe reported this like, whoa. Warren also listed herself as a minority in a legal directory published by the Association of American Law Schools from 1986 to 1995. So that's like it's almost a decade that she's claiming. Uh, the article continues. She's never provided a clear answer answer on why she stopped self-identifying. She was also listed as a Native American in federal forms filed by the law schools at Harvard University and the University of Pennsylvania where she worked. And in 1996, as, a Harvard, as Harvard Law School was being criticized for lacking diversity, a spokesman for the law school told the Harvard Crimson that Warren was Native American. So she's using Native American heritage as a part of it. Now, she claims that this has never helped her academic career. Sorry, if your employer, which is under fire for not being diverse enough, is holding you up as an example of their diversity, well, that might be some pretty good job security for you, right? I mean, you can't tell me this didn't help your career. And now the problem is is, is if she has – and the problem is, 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 is the range – She's anywhere from one sixty fourth to one one thousand two hundred and fourth Native American, depending on in that range of what they're talking about. Um, I don't know what that works out to be a percentage, but that's not very Native American. She doesn't look Native American. No, no. Right. And 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 the whole point of saying, you know, I'm a, like if you identify as a minority. Right. And especially in like an academic setting where we have racial preference policies and everything else in that setting, if, if you're if you're identifying that way. It means you're sort of laying claim to the historical injustices done to that minority group, right? I mean, that's the whole point behind rape. We could have a debate about the efficacy of racial preference policies, but the good intentions behind them, because as flawed as I think they are, I do think they're motivated by good intentions, and those good intentions are to make good on, perhaps even make reparations for, historical injustices perpetrated on the group in question. So in this case, we have Native Americans, which, you know, the, the show's not long enough to describe all the injustices perpetrated on them by our government and others. And so what, what what Warren did is she laid claim to that. Based on an ancestor she couldn't name. Based on an ancestor, she clearly wasn't even really sure existed until she got a DNA test. An ancestor that is so distant I I don't see how this matters. Like, how did this change? I, I, I don't see how you're warranted in claiming to be a Native American because eight, six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations ago, you had a Native American ancestor. That doesn't make you a Native American today. As a matter of fact, by most tribes, most tribes have official criteria you have to meet in order to be enrolled. Most tribes wouldn't enroll you based on this. And here's another thing. I was reading this. This is from a New York Times article dated 2014. And they were talking about headline is white, black, a murky distinction grows still murkier. And they're talking about this DNA test. Here's a line. The researchers found that European Americans had genomes that were on average 98.6% European, 0.19% African, and 0.18% Native American. Now you tell me, if you're Elizabeth Warren, how can you claim to be any more Native American than the average white American descendant of Europeans? I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Elizabeth Warren is any more Native American than I am or you are or anybody else' is, other than maybe actual Native Americans. This, this is a farce. this is a joke. she should be mocked for this i mean if, if her if her hope was to put this away if anything she has turned this into more of an issue than it ever was because she looks silly what do you think 701 293 888-970-9329 email talk at wdy.com scott wants to talk about the voter id issue let's talk with him about that right after the break don't go away we'll be right back welcome back we're on port 970 wd 93.1 fm Got a couple of topics on the table right now. Uh, talking about Elizabeth Warren, I, I think she just made herself look sillier than she did before. I mean, this has been an issue for a while, it's kind of been a jokey thing, but th- that was bad enough because she did. She went overboard in claiming this heritage in the past. I, I, that's the problem, right? M- most of us, and, and again, I'm reading here from the New York Times, 2014. Researchers found that European Americans had genomes that were on average 98 percent, 98.6 percent European, 0.19 percent African, and 0.18 percent Native American. Most of us have a little bit of Native American ancestry according to this DNA test. Most of us have a little bit of African-American ancestry too. But I'm not I tell you what Ben, I'm not going to go around calling myself a black man or pretending like I understand anything. Uh, culturally, that 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 African American people have gone through, because I have 0.18 percent African American heritage. If I even have, I have no idea. I've never taken one of these DNA tests. Not inclined to either. Which, which, by the way, everybody voluntarily submitting their DNA to these databases. Boy, that sounds like what could possibly go wrong. They can have my DNA when they forcibly take it from me. <laughs> I'm not volunteering it. Uh, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at wday.com. Scott's been waiting patiently. Go ahead, Scott. What's up?
3: Hey, Rob. Yeah, first off, on Warren, I, I think it would be a conservative's dream to see her on the ballot. Um, oh, my God. She's so far left.
1: Yeah, uh, she's, she's worse than Hillary Clinton. It. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't get it, man. Uh, I mean, yeah, if Democrats run her. Although, what did they, I saw a poll. And the front runners for the Democrats were um, Joe Biden, who's like 77, and Bernie Sanders, who's like 76. They're the front runners for 2020. Like both of them are going to be almost 80 on Election Day. Um, yeah. That's the future of the Democratic Party. My goodness, they are not. And then and then Elizabeth Warren is like the is is the younger option, I guess. And she's got this. I mean, she, you're right. She's so far left. Anyway, you, your other point, Scott.
3: Okay, yeah, the other point is, you know, I remember about four or five, maybe even six years ago, um, this voter ID thing was a, a topic and a conversation. In fact, Camp came out and she uh, said, yo, we got to do something better. We got to do whatever. And so I called in to the radio show and I said, well, why? She's got the bully pulpit. She's a U.S. Senator. Why doesn't she take a leadership role on this? Why hasn't she stepped up and I mean she's such a champion for Native American issues? Why hasn't she done something?
1: Because I think she's a champion for Native American issues insofar as it's good for her political career. Um Amen. it's it it's 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 clear that she's not that much of a champion. I mean, look at the way look at the way she went and hid under a rock somewhere during the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. And by the way, uh, the fallout from her decision on that, right, because all this election cycle we've been hearing from reports from the Associated Press and other places that there's a lot of disillusionment with Heitkamp since 2012, since the arguably the Native American vote put her over the top of 2012. Since then, there's a lot of disillusionment. Uh, her stance on the or lack of a stance on the Dakota Access Pipeline, to be more accurate, has disillusioned a lot of people. I think what she's doing right now is trying to turn this voter ID issue into a rallying cry, right? She, she's trying to use it to inflame the Native American vote and get them out to the polls. And, and don't get me wrong. If, if the Native American poll wants to get you – know, if, if anybody wants to get out the vote for Senator Heitkamp, they're more than welcome to it. I, I'm not saying that. Um, but my point is, I, I think she's trying to, to use this to invigorate uh, a, a, a part of her base that, that maybe didn't look all that invigorated prior to this.
3: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm I a fairly middle-of-the-road guy, and I, and I am kind of endeared to her a little bit. I mean, she's... she's she seems like she really cares about North Dakotans and understands the way of life up here. But her actions over the last six years have spoken way louder than anything she can say. Um, and I just can't yeah. I can't vote for it.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a situation a lot of people find themselves in, Scott. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh seven oh one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, I, I think the problem is, and and again, there have been a lot of national headlines. I, I wrote my Sunday column about this, but there's been a lot of national headlines about you know how how voter suppression is going on in North Dakota or whatever, and even Senator Heitkamp herself has has alluded to the idea that our 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 law is is voter suppression, but it's the law is essentially the same for everybody. Everybody's got to show an ID and, and everybody has to show an ID, which confirms a residential address or an ID or some combination of, of, of identification. Like you can, you know, use like, and by the way, you should go to the secretary of state's website. If you don't have like a, like an, if you, if you're worried, go to the secretary of state's website. It's, it's all there, it, but it's not that complicated. And, and even by, by the way, this issue on the reservations doesn't even impact that many people at least not as a percentage. And I I say that, I don't want to sound like I'm being dismissive of um, any single person's vote, right? I I don't, if if anybody is denied the right to exercise their franchise, well, then that's a tragedy. But what we're talking about, according to the Washington Post, at least 5,000 of those on reservations do not have conventional addresses. That's 5,000 out of some 46,000 Native Americans living in the state of North Dakota. Uh that's also 1.4% of the nearly 350,000 votes cast in the last election. This isn't that big of a deal. I I think I think this is more politics than anything else. But what do you think? 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at We'll be right back. Don't go away. <laughs> and- on, uh, on Twitter, somebody just wrote, Elizabeth Warren is as native as that dude from Leith is black. <laughs> you re- remember that? Well, I, f- I forget. What was that guy's name again? The I... the white supremacist. Who cares? I don't remember. Who cares? We don't need to talk about his name. We, we all remember that incident. Mm-hmm. The terrible guy. Remember, he went on that show and they did a DNA test on him and it turned out he was like some percentage African-American. Yep. Yeah. That was pretty funny. But, mm-hmm. you know, to that, to that guy's point, I was just reading, so... The Boston Globe says that that the DNA testing shows that Elizabeth Warren is anywhere between one thirty second and one one thousand twenty fourth Native American, right So converting that that means that she's between point zero nine and one point six percent Native American.
4: So very let me back
1: yeah, but let me go back to this let me go back to this. Washington, or excuse me, this New York Times report from 2014 about this DNA testing stuff. They said the researchers found that European Americans had genomes that were on average 98.6% European, 0.19% African, and 0.18% Native American. So if she tops out, best case scenario, according to her results... She is one one thousand twenty fourth Native American, or one point six percent Native American. That would put her slightly below the national average for European Americans with Native American blood, or Native American ancestry, or DNA, or whatever we're calling. Like she's she's less than the average. Her best case scenario from her own DNA testing means that she's less than the average for Americans of primarily European descent. I, it's it's just ridiculous. I, I mean, I, I imagine putting this, I am think all, all the, my liberal friends out there defending her right now. If I went out and I was telling people, based on a DNA test that said I was one 1024th African, if I went out there and started filling out forms, calling myself a minority, as Senator Warren did in the past, people would laugh at me, Ben. Yeah, they'd. Say so you're
4: probably crazy. Make fun of me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like you are not you're not a minority, Port. No. Elizabeth Warren is not a minority. She's a white woman who shouldn't have claimed to be a minority, but did, because I'm sure it was advantageous to her academic career. And that's what makes this whole thing pathetic. It wasn't that she just mentioned in a one off speech. Oh, I I have I have a native, you know, family lore says I have a Native American ancestor. I'm, you know, I'm I'm distantly Native American. It wasn't that she literally described herself as a minority in the past. And that's just kind of repugnant. So anyway, uh, Dave asked a question because we do have that issue with with President Trump. Uh, offering a $1 million donation, Dave, if if a DNA test proves she's Native American. Dave asks, he goes, so do you think Trump owes that million dollars to charity now, or can he just cash in on running his mouth and not backing it up? Well, the problem is, is if she can't prove, if, if Elizabeth Warren can't prove that she's any more Native American than the average white American, then no, I don't think President Trump owes anything. why why would he pay out on that if anything she's slightly less native american than the average white american so does that mean she owes him a million dollars now i don't know i don't know uh let's see what else is i'm reading through all right. 70129390 Email talk at i onecom Got an email from Aaron. It says, uh, I'm sure if you or I had a DNA test, we'd have the same amount of Native American descent. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've never had one of those. Would you ever do one of those tests, Ben? No, I I'm good as I am. Yeah. But... I mean, I'm I'm interested in it. I, I have I do Ancestry.com and I'm interested in my family's genealogy. I'm just not real interested, I think, in giving somebody else my DNA. I feel like maybe we haven't fully fleshed out the consequences of that. Yeah. I think we all we all rushed in when social media came around, right? We all started living our lives on social media, and I think there's been some ramifications for that that we didn't necessarily expect. I'm not so sure that I'm willing to rush in, especially now that law enforcement's like using DNA to solve cold case files and everything. I mean, even if we're getting some positive outcomes from that, um, boy, I don't know. You know, it, it just indicates that the government could co-opt those databases Pretty quick. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. All right, getting back to this uh, question of voter ID in the state of North Dakota. um, That's another question I think that's worth asking is, what have the tribes done to fix this problem, right? The big issue is that tribal IDs don't necessarily have residential addresses on them. The problem is, is that some tribal communities don't have very good address systems for their rural areas. Well, what have the tribes done to fix that? It's not like the voter ID issue is a new issue. Our legislature has been pushing it for years. What have they done to bring tribal IDs in line, to make sure that they work so that their people can vote? Now, I was reading in a Washington Post report that uh, local tribal officials are going to have people out in front of the polls, um, you know, with, with information that they can use to help verify uh, their voters and, and let them vote. And I think that's great. I think that's great. If it helps them vote and it makes it easier for them, then that's great. But what do they do before now? I mean, now we're all treating this like this is some emergency. This is some, you know, vicious act by the Republican majority to suppress the vote. Well, no, I think it was a mo- move towards a more secure sort of ballot. And to the extent that there's a problem with the tribal communities, I, I think it's fair to ask, what are the tribal governments done to address it? 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. email talk at wdy.com. Caller John, you're on. What's up?
0: Hey, Rob. Yeah, I want to talk about Pocahontas there for a second
1: or two. You know, oh my. I did right.
0: Ancestry.com, okay, and yeah. for years since I've ever known. You did you did, did the DNA like,
1: test? Box. You did the DNA test yes. at
0: Ancestry? Yes, I did, and all this time okay. I thought it was Latino, Okay. And okay. I found out that I am 24 percent English, I am 14 huh. percent American Native, American Indian, 14 wow. percent. And then during that course, I found out that I have two other brothers and one sister I never knew about, and that was wow. ancestry.com.
1: Well, that's pretty great. You feel yeah. pretty good about that, John? I'm, I'm so What's that? You feel pretty good about that? I mean, that's got to be... Yes, I do,
0: because now I've I've got another journey because of the American Indian. And
3: I've had a
0: lot of people at work, and they're Native American, and they asked me if I was Lakota or Sioux, and I said no. And last year, it was not last year, but the year before I took this test. And now I found out, but now I need to know who my tribe is. I don't know if I'm Lakota or Sioux. Or some other tribe, and I found out through a gentleman, uh, a lady out in Minnesota that does DNA testing to find out if you're American Indian.
1: That's that's amazing. I I I just I, I can't even imagine going through life thinking, okay, I'm I'm Hispanic. Uh, you know, that's that's my cultural legacy. That's my background. Yeah. That's who I am. And then all of a sudden, yeah. to have it be completely different not that one's necessarily better or worse than the other obviously it's just different it's just a fundamentally different thing to be thinking of i mean that's that's remarkable yeah. john
0: and, and the ironic thing about this too when i first started out i had a gentleman his name was rob from minneapolis and he texted me and he asked if i knew any family members called uh janusitis which is my grandfather my grandparents uh, last name uh-huh and he has been doing the family tree on that site for 25 years 25 wow. years and i never knew this guy and he's a relative and then the ironic thing about this he told me Janusitis was not the original name because his his my grandfather's father came from the old country to ellis island the original name was jankus now from my understanding that a lot of people from the old country that came into the new country gave out false names due to royalty.
1: Ah. Wow. So, you know, that that, that stuff is amazing. I'm a little bit of a genealogy nerd, and and I do pretty good with most of my family. The port side of my family has been a little rough, uh, mostly because we got a lot of brigands and rogues and (laughs) a lot of (laughs) not-so-nice people. I think maybe on on that side of... uh, on that side of the family. Um, I, I actually, my uh, my great, I think it's my great-great-uncle Walter Port actually was in the book Canoeing with the Cree with Eric Severide. Not that anybody. But, but the most interesting thing is uh, we actually found out in the mid-90s, my father found out, that we have family in Bemidji. He had a half-brother we didn't know about. And he had two other siblings he didn't know about. Uh, turns out my grandpa had been married once before. And uh, <laughs> and uh, the way my, my dad found out, because this was long before Ancestor or anything like that, he was in Bemidji, and he looked in the phone book. Our last name's not that common. I uh, was looking in the phone book and found a bunch of ports. and called one of them up and turned out, oh, yeah, there was a whole wing of the family we didn't even know about. Great people. Yeah, Glad and, to know them now. My, but...
0: my suggestion, Rob, do it. Because now, yeah. with this, I'm going to do 23 and me and then there's a, another okay. one called Heritage.com i i, there's some st- I, I, I understand there's some there. there's
1: some health there's some health stuff there as well that i think they could tell you that i think was yep yeah they
0: do i yeah, I, they I also do. think They're it's worth more. knowing
1: i i just i just worry about giving something that's that's so personal to this third party that that word did that trouble you at all like the privacy aspect, nope. aspect
0: of it no oh. no right. not not after what i've come across because it's i mean it's 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 like I said, it's it's a journey that I'm willing to do yeah. and uh, you know, nothing's gonna stop so what me do you too, think, I wanna find out.
1: What what do you think about what do you think about Elizabeth Warren based on her what is it, one point six percent maximum? You
0: know, it's all of you know, and it, you have seen it, you've heard it for years on and it's these are just you know, these are like scare tactics, hate tactics against Trump. You know, and, yeah. and it's no so different. You remember when uh Trump challenged Obama about his heritage? He, he said, Do the deal, I'll give you five million dollars to any charity, even when Obama didn't do it. I don't understand what he was so afraid of. But yet with with this with this lady here, what what does she do? She slams him I down like... you know, feel feels like you know, yeah. being biased and prejudiced because I'm Native American. Well guess what? We just found out she's not that much.
1: Well, you know, here's here and here's the thing. Um The the whole thing with President Obama, I I didn't agree with President Trump on that. I thought he went overboard. But with Senator Warren, the problem that I'm having is she represented herself in the past as a minority. Now, if I took this DNA test and I found out that I was some significant percentage Native American, I still don't think I would identify that way. I mean, it's not how I was raised. It's not how the world perceives me. I mean, when we're talking about that stuff in the context of – you know, uh, affirmative action or in the context of, you know, quotas or racial priority or prioritization or whatever. It, it's about overcoming historical injustices. I've never felt any of those injustices because my whole life I've been perceived as a white man because I am a white man. I mean, that's, yep. that's what I believe I am. I've never taken the DNA test, but I mean, that's what I am. Yep. I'm a white man. That That is what it is. I, I have no right to claim minority status. Elizabeth Warren, has no right to claim minority status. And she did, and that, to me, was, yeah. was what was that's so what offensive saying. about she, it. She used that as a tool. That's what she did. She used it as a tool
0: against Trump and everyone else. Yeah, that, That's just the way it is. I mean, we're seeing it now. Even last night, you know, in 60 Minutes, what was what's her name doing? Trying to trap, trap him on all these questions. It's a tool.
1: Yeah. Uh, John, it, thanks it's, it's for the call. Get, Appreciate it. it. It's going to get worse, Rob what it is yeah yeah. thanks thanks for the call john appreciate it 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com we'll be back right after this don't go away welcome back rob report 970 wday am 93.1 FM 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com i see we're already starting to get some questions for the measure three debate uh that's going to be happening all next hour We're going to have uh, David Owen from Legalize ND. He's on the pro side of the measure. Uh, And then Will Jones from Smart Approaches to Marijuana. He's on the con side. Uh, And we're going to take your calls. You can call in your questions. You can email them in, talk at WDAY.com. But all hour, next hour, we're going to be doing the Measure 3 debate. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Let's see. Caller, Mark. You're on, Mark. What's up?
0: Hey,
3: Rob. uh, Just talking about all that DNA and ancestry.com and stuff i got a question in my wife's sister did it and
5: they're mexican and okay. that shows up as native american on a dna
1: test Wait, so, okay well what, yeah i mean i i guess it. i guess it kind of depends on how you're defining things i mean because are, are we saying American as in, like, the United States of America? Or are we saying American as in, like, South American, North America, like the continents? Because American could know. just mean, depending on the context you're using it, if you say, well, they're of American descent, well, that could mean you're indigenous to, like, uh, like the Incas could also be considered Native American, right? I mean, they were here, too. I mean, it's... They're, they're, there. Uh, was, there was
5: something different in the DNA between...
2: The the southern ones and the more northern yeah. ones, I couldn't understand it all. But
1: Yeah, I, I don't it's know. It's just goofy. I mean, I mean it's
2: it, they're getting too carried away with the race nowadays, I think.
1: Well, I mean, what we're down to, we're debating whether or not a United States <laughs> senator uh, at one, 1,000-whatever 1, percentage, like one point Native American. Are you kidding me? If you're 1.6 Native American, you're not Native American. You're just not. <laughs> I, I didn't think we would ever have to have a debate about this, but you're just not. I mean, this is a woman who wants to be president of the United States of America. And this is the debate that yeah. we're having. And the thing is, is she's the one who released this stuff. Right? She she's putting this out there. She made the claims. She claimed for years that she was a minority. She got called on it. Now she's got a DNA test out there. You know what reminds me of? Yeah, I read an article I read an article a few years, this was several years ago. But it was um because of like the 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 racial preferences given at, for admissions to like elite preparatory schools or elite universities um, like like rich parents were hiring genealogical researchers to comb family trees looking for minority relatives so that their their kids could turn around and claim on their application that there's some small percentage minority to get that that racial preference. Now even if you believe in racial preference policies and I don't, but if you believe in them, Can we all admit that's not how they were intended to be used? That somebody who is is is, is white.
2: And and Elizabeth Warren, she dug her own hole here. She's just making it deeper, I think.
1: In every practical sense of the word, Elizabeth Warren is is white. But this is this is like this is the absurd extreme of identity politics. When we're out here on the fringe, uh, debating about some minuscule min- <laughs> percentage of Senator Warren's DNA uh, to determine whether or not she was justified in declaring herself a minority uh, for, for a decade during her, her academic career. Uh, maybe this stuff shouldn't matter that much.
2: Maybe Senator Warren shouldn't in be... Pocket, in you say you have a dollar? Yeah. You know?
1: Why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should stop caring so much... Uh, what people are and care a little bit more who they are, right? Senator Warren should be considered based on her accomplishments, based on her ideas and not at all because of her race or her gender or her religion or anything like that. But yet, that's, that's the sort of thing that Democrats like Elizabeth Warren want. They want that stuff to matter, which is why I think Senator Warren is so absurdly defending this. Anyway, I got to go, Mark. Thanks for the call. Hey, the Measure 3 debate starts in the next hour. Call in your questions, email in your questions. We'll be right back. Don't go away. All right, Hour 2, Rob Report, starting now. We are doing a debate all hour. We are doing a debate on Measure 3. Uh, measure three now, of course, is the recreational marijuana ballot measure. Um, if, uh, if passed, if it becomes law, it would obviously legalize recreational marijuana. Uh, there's also an expungement provision within it, uh, that would allow, uh, some records, uh, related to mar- marijuana convictions that would be legal if this passes, allows them to be sealed. Um, here with me to discuss this, uh, and to debate it. Uh, And also take your questions, which you can start calling in your uh, questions, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. You can email them in, talk at WDAY.com, or if if you want, you can put them to me on Twitter, at Rob Port. David Owen from Legalize ND. He was one of the organizers of the ballot measure. David, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Also, Will Jones uh, from Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Will, how are you?
2: Doing great. How
1: are you? Good, good. Uh, well, to get started, why don't we just set up what the ballot measure is? And I want to start with David, since you're putting it uh, on the on the, on the the ballot. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the burden of proof on, is on you to, to make the affirmative case that this uh, this measure is something North Dakota needs. So, David, why Measure 3? Why should North Dakota support it?
6: So, Measure 3 is a ballot initiative for legalization of marijuana, as you said. About more than that. About individual freedom and personal liberty. It's about ending the failed policies of prohibition, about putting families back together, about setting lives straight so people can become productive members of society. And ultimately, it's about ending the horrible opioid epidemic because, as the Journal of the American Medical Association has shown, between 20 and 25 percent of all opioid abuses and overdoses fall in states where marijuana is legal. So the raw number. Falls roughly twenty to twenty-five percent. So that's what it does, and needless to say, it's going to create tons of tax revenue. It's going to be good for farmers, and what's good for farmers is good for the
0: state.
1: All right, now uh, let's go to the other side. Will why why should North Dakotans vote against Measure Three? What's what's the reason why they should vote this down?
2: Yeah, measure three is really an overreach in dealing with the issues, um, you know, that are spoken about Whether we're talking about personal liberty, whether we're talking about reduction in opioid abuse or uh, incarceration rate. Uh, Really, legislation that's targeted more narrowly towards, say, removing criminal penalties uh, would be much more appropriate. And uh, that's, you know, the direction that we should be looking at with marijuana policy in the country, rather than something that's going to welcome an industry, a commercial industry that's going to profit off of addiction. Um, and what we've seen from states that have tried legalization is that, unfortunately, incarceration rates have increased. The amount of people, uh, fatalities from people driving under the influence has increased. Um, we've seen uh, increased use for uh, young adults uh, for marijuana use as well. Uh, we've seen the black market increase. And so uh, when we're talking about marijuana policy, something that's much more productive, again, is, is specifically targeting uh, say, criminal penalties that may uh, be enforced in marijuana use and saying we're going to decriminalize or policies like that rather than saying we're going to welcome an industry that uh, that's going to make its profit off of marketing addiction uh, in, in the country. And that's the last thing that uh, that uh, we need as as a country, the last thing we need in North Dakota.
1: Let's, uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, and by the way, if you want to call in your question, 701-293-9000. is the toll-free option. You can also email them in, talk at WDAY.com or if you're on Twitter and you're comfortable doing it that way, tweet me, at Rob Port. Chris, you're up first. Go ahead.
5: Hi, uh, I would just like to call in and um, make a statement basically that as a disabled veteran who um, suffers from a few debilitating conditions due to my service, um, we passed medical through here in 2016 and our legislature took the bill and essentially took a bunch of conditions that qualified for it and eliminated it. And on top of that, it was supposed to be implemented. We gave them 90 days, nothing's happened. And I hear from politicians that they say medical's just around the corner. How is that possible when there hasn't even been a growth facility built yet? So we're at least as a minimum six months out before any of us can get the valuable medicine that cannabis can provide. While this measure allows me 30 days from when it's passed to grow and produce my own medicine without waiting on the state, who, honestly, I don't trust that it will be here at the end of the next year.
1: All right, Chris, thanks for the question. Let's let's put that to Will. Uh, will, what's your response to that?
2: Yeah, so when we're talking about medical marijuana, that's actually a completely different issue. And, unfortunately, it's been kind of mushed together across the United States when we're talking about policy. And, you know, if you just think about any other medicine, um, you know, we don't go around saying that we have – Uh, medical opium, even though, you know, morphine is a derivative of that. Uh, Medicine should be approved by, um, you know, scientists. It should go through the regulatory process. It should, um, the FDA should approve it, and then it should be made available. Um, And, you know, some medicines are coming out like that. The FDA recently approved of Epidiolex. So that's a great, great progress that we're seeing with marijuana. But really, uh, legislators should not be voting on on, uh, medicine, what conditions are treated by it and whatnot. It's become a partisan thing. And really, it should be run by scientists and doctors. So in regards to Measure 3, this is not at all about you know, medical marijuana. Medical, you know, for, the, for what it can be, that should be a completely separate issue. And we shouldn't confuse recreational and commercial uh, recreational use in the commercial industry with medical marijuana because those are two completely different things. And I do hope, you know, that Chris is able to get, um, you know, whatever type of medication that he needs. And I just hope it goes through the regular scientific process. There's nothing different about the marijuana plant than, you know, thousands of other plants that we use for medicine should be harnessed. And we should use the components that we can for medicinal purposes, just like a thousand of other plants. But that's a completely different question other than what we're talking about with Measure 3. And I would say that we should, we should promote legislation that is looking into research. Um, and in producing um, any medications that we can derive from the plant.
1: Uh, David, your response. So first off, Chris, thank you for calling, and
6: thank you for your service. Um, One of the big things is the opposition likes to say medical and recreational are not linked, and I fundamentally disagree because usually when you have medical marijuana, you put a hyper-specific set of diseases that you have to have. So how do you get medical marijuana? Well, you really can't because most medical providers don't want to do it, especially the VA won't touch it because the VA are ultimately federal employees and a VA doctor is not going to go against federal law to approve the medication. So that means your health insurance won't pay for it. So as a result, how are you left to get it? Well, unfortunately, the only option is recreational until we see a national shift. Additionally, unfortunately, in our veteran culture, there's a tendency to not – be able to get the help they need. We know how horrible the VA is. Too frequently, they push the can on down to the road to the next administration. It's been happening since Bush Sr., and it will continue to happen today. So more veterans die every day because they're not allowed to get the medication they need. And recreational fixes it because you can put it in the ground on December 6th in a little greenhouse or in a little part of your apartment, if your landlord is willing, and you can have your medicine next to immediately compared to the failed policy of medical marijuana which all it does is drive the cost through the roof and ensure that nobody can afford it and ultimately veterans
1: don't get it christy let's uh what's your question go ahead
0: well, I guess just a couple of things. One is is that as I've watched and listened to this, one of the things that those that are for it have continually tried to do, I think, is really um, confuse the issue of medical versus recreational. And I think that's real disingenuous. But my question has to do with how do you believe that farmers are going to benefit from this? Because whenever there is a crop, and, you know, as I understand, if you look at some of the states, especially Colorado, there is such an overproduction that all it has done is enhance their black market.
1: Uh, David, let's, let's start with you. So the black
6: market is ultimately created by three things. The first is it's created by prohibitively high licensing costs. So at the end of the day, they do what they did to medical, where a dispensary costs 100000 to acquire. It's caused by an absurdly high tax rate. They say after you get your license, you're going to have to tax it 20 30% to sell it. And then it's further created by artificial limits on the quantity that is allowed to legally enter the market, creating artificial scarcity. Now, our bill addresses all three of these issues, but I'll go specifically to how it's going to be good for farmers. So our bill legalizes hemp production as well. And you can, in fact, get an agricultural loan from the federal government for hemp production. But unfortunately, our state charges about 15000 and I've heard reports as high as 30000 to be a part of our hemp program. Now, hemp does currently contract at 90 cents a pound, which, when you do the math, comes out to being worth $50 a bushel, approximately, which means it's worth about 10 times that of wheat. So even if you choose not to grow marijuana itself, This bill also legalizes hemp production, which is a proven crop that very soon is going to be allowed to be traded across state lines. And on the mere speculation of the legalization of hemp federally, you are seeing contracts go out for 90 cents a pound. And that's according to the Adams Family Farm in Grand Forks and their presentation that they did in conjunction with the North Dakota Department of Agriculture. But as it sits, our hemp program is so laughably restricted You'll never get to participate in that market without the passage of measure.
1: Will, your response?
2: Yeah, what we've seen in, in Colorado, and, and I actually just have this interesting question. I don't know if, uh, Dave, if you think there's any place that's done a good job in, in, in regulating uh, marijuana, if there's any examples or if this is just something that's going to finally work in North Dakota. But, you know, when we look in other states, specifically, you know, Colorado, was Probably has the biggest track record and biggest attempts to regulate it and deal with the black market and all of that. We've seen that again. The black market has exploded there, um, and it's perfectly legal. There's an industry there. In fact, um, the uh, uh, Bob Bob Troyer, the uh, U.S. Attorney for for Colorado, um, you know, he talking about what's happening in Colorado. He said that the black market has uh, exploded, in, you know. A quote, and I'm going to give a quote from him. He says, "We have become a source state, a theater of operation for sophisticated international drug trafficking and money laundering organizations from Cuba, China, Mexico, and elsewhere." Um, and he also talks about how they've had over 6.4 metric tons of unaccounted uh, marijuana uh, that's you know been produced in the state since legalization. They've um, just you know they've collected over 80,000 black market plants off of Colorado's federal lands. This isn't even private property. This is federal lands. So we're seeing the black market is exploding, you know, in places that have legalized. And and that really shouldn't come as a surprise to us. I mean, if we think about um, other things as well, when there is a legal market, there's always going to be people trying to, you know, undersell it and and, and sell it for cheaper. If we look at tobacco, for example, there's a $5 billion, uh, you know, black market just between Virginia and New York City. So legalizing in no way deals with, the, um, you know, ends the black market, and most reports are showing that it exacerbates that. And so we shouldn't look to it as a solution for that. And I would also um, mention just on the tax thing, it, it's interesting that Measure 3 doesn't have any provisions for any taxation at all uh, for, you know, for marijuana when it's legalized, which is, is another interesting thing. Uh, most states that have tried uh, regulation have at least put in some provisions for taxation.
1: All right, let's let David uh, respond to that real quick, and then I want to go to a break. Yeah, go ahead, David. So my comment is, according to the State
6: Office of Management and Budget, there is a tax on the marijuana. The tax will be county sales plus state sales plus city sales, and that's according to the Office of Management and Budget of North Dakota. Also, you can't argue that it will increase the percentage share of the black market when currently 100% of all marijuana is sold on the black market. What will happen is a significant portion – will come out of the black market. And I believe personally, with very lo- with the way the bill is written, the black market will go to zero because the economic incentive and the ability to undercut doesn't exist due to the lack of restrictive licensing and the lack of an absurd tax rate.
1: All right. we got to go to a break. Uh, We'll come back. John, Dale, Aaron, hold on the line. If you want to get your questions in, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. All right. Let's get right back into it. Measure three debate. If you want to join in seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. one, two, nine, three, nine thousand, eight, 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 nine, seven, zero, nine, three, two, nine. Email talk at wday.com. And we have a, we have a ton of questions coming in. So if, if the phone lines are busy or whatever, just keep trying. Uh, you can also email your questions and talk at wday.com. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep the, uh, the answers short so we can get to as many questions as we can, but let's get right back to it. Caller John, you're on.
3: Yes, Rob, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to make a comment to Will.
6: Um, you, Will, you made, you, you, made a, you made a comment about how the recreational bill and
0: the, and the medical bill, they don't, they're, they're two separate things. They don't have anything to do with each other. And I want to say that's 100% false because two years ago, we voted in medical by, I think, it was 65% plus. And our legislators have completely gutted that bill and have completely drugged their feet on implementing that. So right now, if, if this measure three passes... Anybody that needs this medicine can get it without being told by the government what symptoms they have to have or what illnesses they have to have. Because right now the list of illnesses and symptoms that were originally on the bill were completely gutted as to what it is now.
5: So I think that
6: right, this has John, absolutely everything to do with the actual medical bill.
2: All
1: right, John, thanks for the call. Will, go ahead.
2: Yeah, and I would point out again that I think that we need to be careful when we talk about medical marijuana. Um, unfortunately, the – um you know while there it it has been shown to be useful in treating some things it's also frequently overstated but it can help in the fact that we say that legislators should be able to decide what can be treated Marijuana. That is not what legislators do. They're not doctors or scientists. They're legislators. I mean, maybe a few of them are, but generally speaking, they're legislators, not scientists. And so, um, this is something that should remain within the realm of uh, of medicine. That should go through the updated process. That should be approved by um, you know medical associations. So, what we want to see and what should be pushed is legislation that would encourage research. An approval like we just had of Epidiolex by the FDA that just approved it, and we're um, rescheduling just that certain component of that. These are the types of things that we should be looking at, not a broad measure that says you can, you know, self-medicate and treat whatever you want with marijuana. Because again, that's not real medicine. There's no other plant that we do that with. I'm um, for treating the marijuana plant like we treat, you know, thousands of other plants.
1: All right, David, your response. I want
6: everyone to take a second and hear the music through the notes there. What he's really saying is that he believes that government should have the authority to tell you what you can't or cannot do to help treat yourself. What he's saying is a plant that is objectively safer than alcohol, that nobody has ever overdosed on, that there's been not a single case of any reported issues with in terms of usage should be heavily restricted and controlled to the point that you can't get it. He doesn't believe in individual freedom and liberty here. He believes in creating an arcane and arbitrary process to deny you access to your medicine and to ultimately restrict your rights and your choices to do what you think is best for you. And that's again what Measure 3 is about. It's about individual liberty. It's about personal freedom. All right. And at the end of the day, when a substance is harmless, there's no reason that it should not be legal in terms of overdose.
1: I
4: want to keep moving. Uh, Caller Dale, you're on. What's up? Oh, uh, thanks, Rob, for taking my call. Maybe I've watched the movie Serpico too many times, but President Reagan voluntarily took a drug test, I believe it was in 1986. Is there any way we can get a movement going for mandatory drug testing for the politicians and police? I mean, to get an average job today, people have to take a drug test, and we're into, what, 50 years in the war on drugs, and uh, I I think it's tragic and hilarious that uh, police officers and narcotics agents don't have to take drug tests.
1: Okay, Dale, do you have a question about Measure 3 then?
4: Well, I was just taking the flip side on the legality and the illegality of it. I I do support support legal marijuana for medicinal reasons, of course. But why don't they legalize methadone uh, at the methadone clinics? I mean, the the politicians have their hands on their heart about this opiate narcotic crisis. Why don't they put their money where their mouth is and start making methadone legal and cheap for opiate narcotic addicts? But uh, right, I Jay, guess Dale, I just thanks. had a statement there.
1: Okay. Thanks, Dale. Uh, either of you two want to uh, – Will, do you want to respond to the statement at all? I guess you did not really have a question.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd rather keep the comments to measure you know, measure three because we can sure. go down a whole trail yeah. and then we start talking about politicians. But, I mean, sure. I will say on the issue of testing, um, you know, one area of concern is that in states that have legalized and this is specific to measure three um, – Companies that do test are, are having extreme difficulty in finding people that can pass the test. In fact, one of the largest construction companies in Colorado said that they are uh, the majority of the hiring not to come from out of state because they can't find somebody that can pass the test. And I think that's reasonable. Most of us don't want some people, you know, people in safety-sensitive positions that are under the influence of any substance. Um, and so. But unfortunately, states that have legalized are having the uh, um, employers are having more difficult time finding people that can pass a drug test. So that's, that's one Dave, Dave,
1: Dave, we got about 30 seconds. Then we got to go to break. So I'll just reiterate what
6: I've said before. When the Journal of American Medical Association did a study on states that legalized marijuana, they found that opioid abuse and overdose dropped 20 to 25%. If you're concerned about the opioid crisis and the opioid epidemic, the legalization of marijuana has been proven in peer-reviewed academic journals okay. to decrease opioid abuse and overdose. All right, gotta go to a break. Not again.
1: Gotta go to a break. Gotta go to a break. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Debate continues. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Measure 3 debate continues. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY-AM 93.1 FM. Uh, you can call and get your questions in now, 701 293 9000, 888 970 9329. And also, we have a, we have a ton of emailed questions as well, and we're going to get to those two. Email talk at wday.com. Uh, but right off the bat, let's get to the phone calls. Aaron, you're on. What's up?
0: Oh, Rob. Uh, my question's for Will. I'd like to know how he can be so hypocritical. As as to uh, turning a either advocating or turning a blind eye to legalized killing drugs as alcohol and tobacco, yet uh, he he rails against marijuana, which is not going to kill anyone. You're never going to overdose from it. Yet he can he can treat he can look the other way at alcohol and
2: tobacco. Why isn't his group railing against that?
1: Aaron, uh, thanks thanks for the call and and will and, and just I j- just to add a point of that will I, I, well, one thing that I struggle with is the fact that marijuana is pretty readily available in the black market. I'm not advocating that anybody break yeah. the law, but I think it's just reality. Most people who want marijuana are already smoking marijuana. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll let yeah. you respond.
2: I, I definitely love the question and we I asking it from my perspective. You know, when I got involved in this issue uh, back in around 2014. Um, I heard there's legislation. I live in uh, D.C. actually, and I heard there's legislation that we're going to regulate marijuana like alcohol. Now, I don't know where you know where other people live, but where I live in D.C. on my side of town, uh, you know, uh, 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 African American communities, um, we have eight times as many liquor stores in our communities as as other as other parts of the country, other parts of the city, uh, and that's not just here in D.C. That's you know, in in if you look in cities across the country, there's eight times as many alcohol. Uh, you know, liquor stores in our communities. We have a disproportionate amount of tobacco advertisement targeted towards us. We have a disproportionate amount of lottery advertisement targeted towards us. So my problem is not uh, with what people do in their personal free time. And I know Dave's kind of said I'm, I'm against freedom. No, what you want to do in your basement is, is you know, if you want to smoke, great. I'm talking specifically about a commercial industry that's targets disenfranchised communities, that they have a record of doing that. And so when we say we're going to regulate marijuana like alcohol, we're going to do that, and it's going to be a commercial industry with $6 million for a 30-second Super Bowl ad that disproportionately targets, again, Uh, vulnerable populations, and that is the last thing that we need in the country. So if we're talking about decriminalizing for personal use, I'm 100% for that. I advocate for that 100%. But when we talk about allowing an industry that, again, is going to profit off of addiction, that's going to target disenfranchised communities like mine, where, again, the closest stores I get to in any direction as a liquor store, I'm 100% against that. I, I don't think what we've done with alcohol is a good thing. I don't think what we've done with tobacco is a good thing. If I could go back and change those, I would 100%. But, you know, that's in the past. But here we're in today, I'm going to speak up when we're talking about repeating mistakes of the past. I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm glad you brought those up because I hate what they've done, and I don't want to see us repeat those mistakes.
1: Well, well I, I, want, I want to clear up something you just said before I go to David. Did you just say you would go back and – Like, like, uh, undo prohibition. Like, you would you like to go back to prohibition with alcohol? (laughs)
2: Oh no! I'm talking about how it's uh, you know the in, it's it's embedded in society, and so there's a, there's a distinction. If we're talking about prohibition, I okay. think that's not an appropriate analogy for what we're talking about with marijuana because we have not had an established marijuana industry that we're trying to shut down, unless you talk about in okay. Colorado or something like that. Right. Prohibition specifically didn't work because we had an embedded multi-million dollar industry that we tried to shut down, and so you guys can't sell that anymore. And of course, that's going to fail. And, and so, of course, I'm not saying we should. Do that, but if we're talking about the normalization of abuse of, of alcohol, the normalization of, of, of uh, addictions to cigarettes and those things, All right. I would one hundred percent go back and change the laws that allow okay. that. All
1: right, David, go ahead.
6: So uh, again, it's a little bit of double talk here. Again, he, he basically said, "Well, of course, I don't want to target the industry because it's well established and I can't win." But ideally, basically, what he's saying is keep it illegal. Because let me tell you something, Rob. Speeding tickets, I decriminalized
2: decriminalized yeah,
6: yeah, speeding tickets are decriminalized in the state. Yeah, yes. Speeding tickets are decriminalized in the state. But when I pull up someone's record online, I still see that they were caught speeding. It still shows up. It still appears on every single background check. There's a person where someone was feeling a little bit vindictive against me and pulled it up and showed that I had a speeding ticket. So decriminalization doesn't mean legal. It still means illegal. It still means you have it on your record, it still means it shows up in a criminal background check, and ultimately it still has all of the same problems in this state as if it were illegal in terms of finding a job, getting loans, renting an apartment, having a family. We had someone talk yesterday who who can't work at American Crystal Sugar for a simple reason. He has a paraphernalia misdemeanor, not even marijuana possession. He was caught with the possession of a pipe. And now he can't work at American Crystal Sugar, and he's struggling to raise his three kids with his wife because he can't find a job for this. So decriminalization is just code for let's keep you to leave North Dakota, Let's just not send you to prison for a long time.
1: Uh, I want to get to some of the emails now, but if people want to keep calling in, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at wday.com. Uh, Judy asks, how do you plan to control marketing to kids? David, that one for you.
6: Well, first off, we made it illegal for sale to children. We made it illegal for sale to anyone under the age of 21 with fairly strict criminal penalties. The same reason it won't be marketed to kids is the reason alcohol isn't marketed to kids, because you stand to lose your ability to ever sell the substance ever again, so you don't go after that market. I don't see any beer commercials currently Going after kids. And the reason for that is they don't want to lose their liquor licenses. They don't want to lose the source of their livelihood. But I'll tell you who does go after kids, people with nothing to lose. When you're facing a three to five year felony, which is what possession is with intent to sell in the state, you don't really care who you sell to, because at the end of the day, three years is three years. So by legalizing it, we create a system where they're not going to sell to kids because we've created an incentive to sell it legally and legitimately.
2: Will? Yeah, that, to, to me, what I want to look at is the bottom line. And I continually, you know, when I'm talking, I want to bring up stats about what's happening, and I'm going to continue to do that. I'd love to hear some stats from Dave. But when we're talking about uh, targeting young people, we're not talking about 13-, 14-, and 15-year-olds. That, honestly, that's, that's not who the industry is targeting. But if we and if we look at our legal drugs, you know, alcohol and tobacco uh, those target, it's the age 16, 17, 18, 19, where it's still illegal, but they need you because they need you to be that lifelong customer. So the way addiction works is if you start under the age of 21, uh, you are you know much more likely to become an addicted uh, lifetime user than if you start after the age of 21 or 25 when your brain is fully developed. And so these, these companies target young adults. Again, I'm not saying 13-year-olds, but I'm saying young adults. And so when we look at Colorado, Oregon, Washington State, and other states legalized, the, uh, that young adult range, again, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old but it's still illegal, the uh, use has skyrocketed in those populations, in alcohol and tobacco know that they have to get you under the legal age to be that lifelong customer, and that's all we have about 75% of people, you know, that are, that are using alcohol start at, you know, in 12th grade, um, and same thing for tobacco, about 80% of people that are gonna use it for life and have a problem are starting at age, I think it's 18 when we look at studies, and so, They're not, again, it's not 12 year olds, but it is the 18, 19, 20 year olds, but it's still illegal in marketing. If we look at it, it's young adults, and they make it look attractive. And to say that when it's a legal commercialized industry, again, with $6 million for a 30 second Super Bowl ad, that's not going to increase young people using. That's just denying the power of commercialization. And commercialization works, especially in the United States. We've got it down to applying science, and it works beautifully. And we don't want to have that with marijuana. Scott, so.
1: Scott asked uh, me an email, Rob. Okay, comment, and, oh, I'm sorry, David. Is something you wanted to respond to there? Sure, go ahead. Yes. So,
6: of course, a tobacco company is going to advertise to 18, 19, and 20-year-olds because tobacco is legal at 18. If you're comparing when tobacco starts its advertisements, which is what you just did, and you said 18, 19, and 20, they're only targeting people who are older than the legal age limit. You've you just proved my point in that they don't target people who can't legally consume the product.
2: I'm referring to, I also make an alcohol. Well, tobacco I'll tobacco let you rebut that real tobacco quick. tobacco, and
1: tobacco which is 21. Okay, let's move on. I want to get in a caller, Donna. Go ahead, Donna, what's up?
0: Hello. You know, I've been listening to all this, these discussions, you know, with you, and uh, and a lot of it sounds sensible and a lot of it. Uh, one thing I've been wondering, you know, uh, medically, what is marijuana supposed to cure or do for people?
1: can i uh, david off? go ahead yeah go ahead
0: so
6: what marijuana is designed to do is it's not a primary cure it's palliative in a lot of cases the thing, and what palliative care means is it's a term for reduction of pain and for pain management obviously marijuana is not going to cure your arthritis what it's going to do is it's going to be acting like a numbing agent and it's going to decrease the pain you feel which allows you to function Now, on the other end, what it also does is because of its properties, similar to ADHD medication, although they work with entirely different mechanisms, what it does is it causes changes in the brain that are good for people who are depressed, that are good for people that suffer with bipolar disorder, that are good for people with night tremors, that are good for PTSD, that are good for neurological-related symptoms that are primarily due to stress or fear. And that's what it really does. It fixes issues that come from stress or fear, depression, bipolar, PTSD, and it deals with pain. And in some instances, it deals with seizures as well because of involuntary neurological impulses. That's what a seizure ultimately is. And I'm sorry I'm getting technical here, but I'm trying to answer your question as best I can. So the short answer is seizures, PTSD, depression, bipolar,
2: and, and uh, I would agree with okay. the, potentially, um, when we're talking about seizures, and that's what the FDA just recently approved, ep- Epidiolex, which is, uh, you know, for people with epilepsy, it can. they're showing some promise in that. And I'd highlight that's the CBD, that's not the THC, which is the component that gets you high. So there are medicinal properties in it, but they're vastly overstated. When we're talking about pain, again, most scientific studies say that. In fact, uh, a few ones just were published uh, uh, that show that it's not effective in easing chronic pain, and in fact, it exacerbates. It. And this is when we're looking at medical studies, not self-reported uh, uh, data. And so, some of the top medical journals, if we, you know, if you look those up, say it's not actually uh, effective in treating chronic pain or um, in, uh, or for PTSD. Uh, a lot of that is from people that anecdotally say that it helps with that. But again, the major scientific organizations and scientists do not say that it's effective in treating those things. Also, I would like to bring up something that Dave pointed out, said earlier: is that states that have legalized have you know a reduced number of opioid deaths, and that actually is not true as well. Um, it, or it's not that marijuana has reduced that; it's because states, a lot of those states had pre had lower pre-existing mortality trends, and so then when we look at it, of course they have a lower rate, but that's not taking into account what their rate was before and after legalization. So a study that was done on that again showed that there was no change, uh, no reduction. In that sense, legalization, and in fact, a study by NIDA um, that was over 35,000 people uh, showed that marijuana users have two are 2.2 times more likely to go on to use other to opioid abuse disorder at a later point in life, and so uh, that's something that we should be hugely concerned about uh, with more people using uh, more people using marijuana.
6: Well, can I respond, Rob?
2: I mean, sure, now so, I'd love like okay. to hear studies because I, I've been providing so, studies to, to back these things up.
6: So the Journal of American Medical Association's sample size was tens of millions because it was comparing across entire states. So I, I trust their sample size. I trust their methodology. They're one of the most respected medical journals in the country. But on to self-reporting for pain, that's the best way to measure pain. Because at the end of the day, pain is a deeply subjective and deeply personal issue. And if a veteran comes up to me and says, this helps me sleep at night, or if a mother comes up to me with her child and says, you know, I've got horrible pain because I hurt my back in a car crash, and this allows me to go to sleep so I can continue raising my kid, I'm going to take what they say every day of the week over
1: his metric. Yeah. David, what, we gotta go to a break. We'll come back. More comments, more questions. 701 293 9000 888 329 Email talk at wday.com. Measure three debate continues. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Rob Report. We're doing a measure three debate. This is the last segment and, uh, we just got a few minutes left. So, gentlemen, uh, keep your, uh, keep your answers relatively short. Uh, we got, I'm, and I'm going to try to hit the emails here. Dwayne emails: uh, How do you expect to get taxes off something that has no regulations? Uh, David, you want to explain the tax issue?
6: So the tax issue is largely a myth created by the opposition. Because let me tell you what's going to happen when you legalize: people are going to open stores, which will sell the product to consumers. And when the consumers buy the product, they'll be paying city, state, and local sales tax. That business owner will also report his income to the state of North Dakota, where he will pay corporate income tax. His employees, who are employed by the store, will pay their personal income tax. So ultimately, the effective tax rate on any business that chooses to sell marijuana will be between 8 and 12%, maybe as high as 14 In Fargo, it's going to be closer to 14 but generally speaking, percent the effective tax rate because
2: businesses pay uh, their taxes. Uh, Will, go ahead. Yeah. And so that would be one of the lower lowest rates in the United States, but let's just, you know, take it out, for example, or, you know, let's look at Colorado actually for what they've done, which has a higher tax rate on, on marijuana being sold. If we're talking about any benefit coming to the state from taxes, that's really honestly just a dream. Uh, Colorado brought in about $250 million in 2016, 2017 through their taxes that was that sounds like a lot. If, you know, that if I get 200 million, that's great. But for the state, their state budget is 27 over 27 billion dollars. So that 200 million that they brought in, 250 million that they brought in, was less than one percent of their budget. So very negligible amount when you're looking at it from the state. And that does not take into account the increased cost of enforcement and the increased cost of driving under the influence, fatalities, lawsuits. Uh, Um, absenteeism at work there's a host of different costs that we have to also look at not just say there's some money coming in we also have to look at the money that's going to go out and states that have done are showing a net loss uh you know when we're looking at tax revenue and what's happening in the state
1: scott emails uh rob can they explain the black market strategy alcohol is legal so is there a huge black market for booze i don't see how legalized pot will increase the black market will we'll start with you
2: yeah, so we're just looking again at the data of of states that have done it. Um, this not just you know theory. This is looking at what's happening. Again, the uh, attorney uh, general in Colorado, six point three metric tons was unaccounted for in, Col- in Colorado. Eighty eight thousand plants seized off of federal land. It's because it's a it's a product that people are going to uh, you know there's, when there's more people trying to sell it, everybody's trying to make a buck off of it. A lot of people are skirting uh, the regulations for it. And so people are going to try to sell it so it doesn't have the taxes taken out of it, or maybe people are going to try to sell it to people that shouldn't be buying and people that's going to have illegal grow operations or don't want to abide by regulations. It's just natural that people are always going to try to find ways to skirt the different issues, and that increases the black market. And again, I, I mentioned tobacco, but that's a huge black market for that as well. Um, and, and so legalizing something does not do away with the black market. What we want to do is reduce as much as possible. I'm never going to say there's not going to be a black market, but we want to do what we can to reduce it. And the states that have okay. legalized have shown no promise in doing that.
1: All right. I, I want to sneak Matt in here quick before the break. We've got to be real quick. So, Matt, go ahead.
2: Yeah, you said uh, $247 million in taxes and fees for marijuana Colorado brought in. And you say that's less than 1%, which it 1% is 1% mass math. But you leave out the fact that the business owners are making money, the employees are making money, and they're also spending that in the economy. Um, do you have any ideas or figures on what that number would be? Thanks. That's uh, oh, kind of my question.
1: Go ahead, Will. Go ahead, Will. we got to be quick.
2: Yeah, I don't have exact figures, you know, if you're talking about, you know, people spend more because they're making more. Uh, but we're just looking you know at the hard things that we do know, Uh how much is brought on through taxes and then expenditures on things like, again, absenteeism, increased costs from drug driving, uh, and things like that. And so we're knowing from the cost that we can quantify, it's been, uh, it hasn't been it has been any type of uh, benefit from the things we so, can quantify.
1: Uh, Dave, 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 last comment so to you. If we know the
6: tax rate is 20% and we know the amount they paid into the state, we also know what they took home. What they took home on $220 million is roughly $880 million. That's what they got after they paid taxes. That's what they spent in their communities. That's what they boosted it to. Not to mention all the people that stayed in hotels to have a weekend in Colorado. Not to mention all of the other additional revenue streams.
1: Now, also... All right.
6: David, I, I gotta cut you off there because
1: we are we are just we are just flat out of time. Gentlemen, I, I appreciate both of your time. It was a great debate. Uh we'll keep this debate going on the show. Thanks for everybody for listening. You can always catch me here twelve to two PM Monday through Friday, nine seventy, W D A Y AM ninety three point one FM. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.